Today, we're entering the final section of the household code that Paul has been addressing. So we looked at husbands, wives, parents, children, today, slaves, and masters. And we have to stop for a moment because I know you're all thinking this. Why would Paul address slaves and masters rather than just come out and immediately say that slavery is wrong? And it's a question that would be legitimate for you to ask in some ways. But one of the most important things we have to remember is that slavery in the Greco-Roman world was actually vastly different from the African slave trade that we grow up learning about in history classes here in America. So let me give you a few ways that it's different. Most statistics roughly say that one-third of people in the Greco-Roman world were actually slaves. One-third of people. So in a town like Ephesus, that would probably be roughly millions and millions of people that would have been slaves in an ancient city like Ephesus that Paul is writing to. Upward mobility in Greco-Roman slavery was actually possible. You could start at the bottom, work your way up to the top. Many people were enslaved in order to pay off a debt or to make a living for their family. There's a book called Everyday Life in Ancient Rome, and the author says this about slavery in the Greco-Roman world. There were multitudes of Greek and Roman slaves. The gangs in the mines or on the vast ranches who lived lives full of hardship as slaves on the sugar plantations of Brazil or the cotton plantations in the American South. But in the days of the Roman Empire, there also were a great many who were able to escape from slavery and mount the steps of the social ladder, in some cases, to the very top. So, in this passage today, Paul does not explicitly outlaw slavery. However, without question, the Bible's teaching condemns slavery. Tony Morita, who's a pastor and author in his com commentary on Ephesians, points out a few reasons why this is clearly the case. Number one, we are called to love our neighbor, not own our neighbor. Number two, we are to treat others as we would treat ourselves. Number three, as you read the entire biblical narrative, neither slaves or masters are viewed positively in the Bible. Think about it for a moment. Ancient Israel, when they are enslaved to Egypt... It is a very negative image. It is a negative picture. Christianity also is a release the captives religion. We were all enslaved to sin. And the message of the gospel is freedom in Christ. And then number five, if you read the New Testament comprehensively, the authors actually undermine slavery at almost every turn. But one of the worst things that we can do is when we approach the biblical text is take the passage out of its immediate context and act like it's not there. So we're not going to do that. We're going to teach what Paul teaches here. But you need to walk away today understanding that in no way, shape, or form, because Paul addresses the relationship between slaves and masters, we could never make the jump to justify slavery in any way, shape, or form. So what do we actually glean from this message today? What are the takeaways there's two takeaways today. Number one, respect those in authority over you. And then number two, 
do not abuse authority that has been given to you. Number one, respect those in authority over you. And number two, do not abuse authority given to you. So even though these slaves were under the authority of another, Paul still tells them to obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now this doesn't mean that they were to walk around and live in constant fear of getting beaten up, but rather they would have great reverence and respect for those that they were serving. And Paul takes it one step further. He doesn't just say act with fear and trembling. He says to do it with a sincere heart. Now remember the context in which Paul is writing. He's writing to Ephesian Christians. So these are going to be Christian slaves and Christian masters that Paul is writing to you. Doing things with a sincere heart is sometimes challenging. See, it's easy to obey simply because you know that you're supposed to obey. As a child, I could obey my parents because I knew I was supposed to. But internally, I could be hating my parents for what they were asking me to do. So it's one thing to obey and go through the motions. It's another thing to do it with a sincere heart. Paul is not asking these slaves only to obey in action. He is also asking them to have the right posture as they obey their masters. And Paul is assuming here that these Ephesian bondservants had a sincere heart when they obeyed Christ. Can the same be said of us? For those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, we can easily go through the motions. It is not hard to do. If you have been working your way through our Bible reading plan this year, and you're checking off those daily readings, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times that I've read those simply to check them off the list, just to go through the motions. We are prone to do that. What about showing up at church week in and week out? We can show up at church spiritually dead on the inside while giving the impression to everyone around us that we're alive on the outside. Now, I'm not advocating that you only show up if you feel alive. You need to show up. But as you show up, we want to prepare our hearts for the corporate gathering. That's why every Friday when you receive my weekly update, the first sentence that I give you in that letter or that email is the text that we're going to be in that Sunday so that you can read that text ahead of time and begin praying that God would prepare your heart for the passage that we're going to be in. Read over the text. Pray a simple prayer. Ask God to begin shaping you and changing you to be able to receive the word as our choir just so beautifully sang. Show us Christ as we study the word of God. So we want to be a church where we serve Jesus faithfully with sincere hearts. And we want to repent when we are guilty of going through the motions rather than having sincerity. You remember when Jesus scolds the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. And he quotes Isaiah and he says, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We do not want to be people that are characterized by simply going through the motions of our faith. And Paul was telling these bondservants here, do not just go through the motions and being obedient to your masters. Do it with a sincere heart. And guess what? That takes a lot of prayer. 
and a lot of spiritual maturity. And that is what Paul was calling these bond servants to do. He also says, don't do it as people pleasers. Now, you don't have to raise your hand in this room today. But I know there's people pleasers among us. I'm one of them. I hate when people are disappointed in with me. I wish that everyone liked me. That's just the way God wired me. But people pleasing has both strengths and significant weaknesses. One of the strengths is that you're always willing to do things for people and faithfully serve them. One of the weaknesses is you're always second-guessing yourself and whether or not people actually do like you. But as we mature, as we get older, generally speaking, as God sanctifies us, we begin to realize that it's virtually impossible to make everyone happy. Becoming a people pleaser becomes dangerous at some point because God might call you to do something that doesn't make people happy. Reed and I went to a conference this past week in Louisville, Kentucky. One morning, one of the pastors, who is a, obviously a Christian now, was converted from his Muslim faith. And when he went to tell his father that he had become a Christian, his father disowned him for a year. And he only welcomed him back when he said, the only way that I will welcome you back into the family is if you take over my medical practice. And then he had to have another conversation with his father. And as his hands were trembling, he told his father that God had called him into gospel ministry. And here were the words that his father told this pastor. He looked his son in the eye and said, you have died to me. I'll be ashamed of you as long as I live. People pleasing ultimately has to take a back seat to being obedient no matter what it might cost you. It literally cost this pastor the relationship with his father. But isn't that exactly what Jesus tells us will happen in the New Testament? When he says, whoever follows after me might have to leave father, mother, brother, sister in order to follow me. So what's more important, the relationship that we have with our siblings or our parents or being obedient to follow after Jesus Christ? We must be careful that people-pleasing does not trump obedience to faith in Christ. And Paul gives the answer. He says, as bondservants of Christ, do the will of God from the heart. Render your service to the Lord and not to man. So let's make the application here to our lives. Bond servants in our day and age could be any subordinate role where you have to report to an authority, a boss, a supervisor, anyone that is over you, whether it be in your job or any other aspect of life. If you're in a subordinate role in your job, you might be asked to do something by your supervisor that you don't want to do, you don't know why it's important, you might not even agree with it, but your obedience and your respect to your supervisor actually testifies to your faith in Christ. Remember that. To the extent that your supervisor or your boss or your manager does not tell you to do something unethical or immoral, you should submit to that authority. It is a horrible witness when Christians have problems with authority. 
You know why? Because if you have problems with authority in your own life, you might be having authority problems with Jesus, who is your ultimate authority. I'm not saying you have to be a yes man if your boss tells you to do something financially irresponsible or if he tells you to do something that would clearly violate the teachings of Scripture. But brothers and sisters, sometimes if you're in a subordinate role, the best testimony you can give to your boss or supervisor is to step up and say, yes, I will do it. And do it with a glad heart, even if you don't like doing it. And over time, that will speak volumes to your boss, to your supervisor, to your manager. Whether you believe it or not, your boss or supervisor does not have an easy job. Managing people is the worst. It's the worst. And if you've never done it, you don't know how hard it is. And until two years ago, I had never done it. And I didn't know how hard it was. (laughs) Managing people is hard. And sometimes the best thing that we can do when we're in subordinate roles is to give our bosses and our supervisors the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're doing it to the best of their ability. Maybe they're not. But we can't see inside their hearts. We can't see inside their souls. So let's be good Christian witnesses to the corporate world, to the secular world, and be people who are willing to agree and do what our supervisors ask us to to do to the extent that you're not doing anything illegal or immoral. They will notice that about you. That will give you opportunities to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Paul says in verse 8, knowing that, Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness, friends. If you are in any type of subordinate role, if you respect the authority that God has placed in your life, you will be rewarded. It might not be in this life, but you will be rewarded. Do not grow weary in doing good. Imagine these bondservants in the context of Ephesians, hearing this from Paul, knowing that some of their masters treated them wrongly, knowing that some of them were being not paid what they should have been paid, asked to do things that were out of the purvey of what they were supposed to do. And Paul is reminding them that even in those situations, that their obedience to the earthly master will not be in vain. It will be rewarded. So number one, understand that if you are in any type of subordinate role, respect those in authority over you. But number two, and perhaps more importantly, do not abuse authority that God has given to you. Let me read a quote from Frederick Douglass as he's writing about being a slave. For of all slaveholders with whom I have ever met, religious slaveholders are the worst. I have ever found them the meanest and basest, the most cruel and cowardly of all others. It was my unhappy lot not only to belong to a religious slaveholder, but to live in a community of such religionists. Mr. Hopkins could always find something of this sort to justify the use of the lash, and he seldom failed to embrace such opportunities. 
There was not a man in the whole county with whom the slaves who had their had the getting their own home would not prefer to live rather than with this reverend Mr. Hopkins. And yet there was not a man anywhere around who made higher professions of religion, who was more active in revivals, more attentive to the class, love feast, prayer and preaching meetings, or more devotional in his family that prayed earlier, later, louder and longer than this same reverend slave driver, Rigby Hopkins. Now I realize I told you earlier that the context of Ephesians is not this understanding of slavery. Greco-Roman slavery was quite different from the African slave trade that we read about. But I want you to feel the weight of that quote. This was a preacher, a pastor, who was clearly abusing the authority that had been given to him by God. Paul doesn't just give instructions to the bondservants in this passage. He gives instruction to those Christian masters. This would have been so countercultural in Greco-Roman context because the master, he is the boss. He can do whatever he wants to do. They were the ones who called the shots. They were the ones with all of the power in the relationship to either use it or abuse it as they saw fit. And Paul steps up and says, Masters, you have an obligation to treat those in authority under you with love and respect. But Paul says, ultimately, if you are the one in authority, you're really not the master. Jesus Christ is the master. You are now a steward of this bondservant that God has given you. So in our context, if you're a supervisor, if you're a president, if you're a boss, you are a steward of that employee that God has given to you. Treat them appropriately. Do not threaten them. Do not resort to a power grab to remind them of who is in charge, but rather remember ultimately that you also are under the authority of someone else. Someone gave you the authority that you have, and it wasn't you. It was God. The Christian slave in Ephesians and the Christian master in this passage both have a master, and he is seated on the throne in heaven. He is the one who calls the shots. Both master and slave, both supervisor and employee are called to submit to his authority and to his leadership. No partiality exists, Paul says, with God. Think about the letter that James wrote when he says in James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, as I preach this part of the sermon, I'm preaching as somebody who has been given authority, who has been given the task of leading a group of people within our own church, our staff. And I don't take that responsibility lightly. Am I perfect at it? No, just ask the staff. Of course I'm not. But to the best of my ability, I, I feel the weight of what Paul is teaching here. And so I'm not going to boast of the authority that has been given to me. I want to serve those under me well. And I have to ask for God's help to do so every single day. One of the best things that you can do is if you're in a position of leadership is treat the people under you primarily as human beings first and employees second. 
Ask them how they're doing. Talk to them about their families. Pray with them about things going on in their lives. Don't just treat them as employees at your disposal, but rather as human beings created in the image of God. Without question, the greatest leader that any of us have ever read about or learned about is Jesus himself. And what does he do in the final days of his life? Instead of just asking the disciples to sit there and rub his feet and give him wine and food to eat, he gets down and washes their feet the day before he's crucified. How many of us as leaders in the room, when we're having a stressful day, go out of our way to serve those under us? Or do we expect them to come and serve us and take care of our problems? We're told that Jesus rested. He did get away from time to time, but we regularly see him with people, healing them, teaching them, answering questions, spending time with them. Jesus never viewed the people as a problem to manage, but as human beings in need of a Savior. You know what would speak volumes if you're in charge in this room today? If you just loved the people that God entrusted to you. Yes, you have to lead. Yes, they have to do a job. But if you love them, encourage them, and I'm not saying I'm good at it, but if you love them and encourage them, they'll work and they'll be pleased to do their best. Remember that great line from the Spider-Man movie from my childhood. There's way too many Spider-Man movies now, I can't keep track. But the one that came out when I was in high school, there was this great line from Uncle Ben, who was Peter Parker's uncle, obviously. And he gives this line, he's telling Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. The mere fact that if you are in a position of authority today, whether you like it or not, people under you are forming impressions about you and about the way that you lead. Do not abuse the authority that God has given to you. Steward it well for the glory of God and so that people understand that healthy authority comes from a healthy relationship with the ultimate authority in our lives, Jesus Christ. Now this biblical theme that we read about today, which is the relationship between slave and master, is not unique to the book of Ephesians. In fact, you could argue that one of the strongest themes throughout the whole narrative of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is slavery. But it's not physical slavery. It's spiritual slavery. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 16 to 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Even though slavery has been outlawed in this country and is frowned upon all around the world, if you are not in Christ, you are enslaved today as I preach. You are enslaved to sin. And enslaved to sin 
ultimately leads to eternal separation from God, apart from him forever in hell. But enslaved to righteousness leads to eternal life with God forever. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is only freedom in Christ Jesus. I don't care how great you think your life is, how happy you are, you are enslaved to sin apart from Christ Jesus. And no earthly success, no earthly happiness will ultimately count in the end. The Bible calls every human being to repent of sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you can be freed from your bondage to sin. That's how we experience freedom, not only in this life, but in the life to come. If you're that person today who is under the authority of someone else in your life, respect them, support them, encourage them. Be a good Christian worker in whatever environment God has put you in. And if you are that one in authority, you will be held accountable. I will be held accountable for the way that we treat people under us. We'll be held accountable. Some of the scariest words in the New Testament are are directed to pastors and preachers. That what you teach will come back on you. You will be held accountable. I will be held accountable for the things that come out of my mouth every Sunday. So if you are one who's in authority, steward it well for the glory of God. Take it seriously and ultimately submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, we feel the weightiness of this passage. And even within our hearts, there's this tension about how Paul even addresses it. But we know that the Bible is fully inspired, without error. It's everything we need for life and for salvation. So we take this passage and we lay it before you. And our prayer is, teach us how we can apply this passage to our lives. God, I pray for every employee in the room right now. That you would give them a heart of sincerity that they would support, encourage, and do what it is those in authority over them have asked them to do to the extent that it is not illegal, unethical, or immoral. We also pray for those that have authority, supervisors, managers, presidents, any leaders in any of the organizations that are represented in this room today. May we feel the weight of what it means to have authority. And to ultimately remember that whatever position we've been given is because you entrusted it to us. We didn't, we didn't deserve it. We really didn't even earn it. It's a gift of your grace. So help us to steward it well. Help us to steward those under us well ultimately for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name.
Amen.